Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion of God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, Chase, well, we are uh, made it through the three cities in Acts 17 and are on to the port city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Mm-hmm. Just due west of Athens, where Paul will be for some time, which will be a little bit different. We'll talk about that some in this episode today. Um, but Paul, he had some interesting experiences through Thessalonica all the way to Athens, and so uh, his interesting experiences will continue through Corinth. Yeah, and Corinth was not exactly renowned for its upstanding behavior, which we'll talk about as we go through. And it's just going to be interesting to see how how is the gospel going to spread in a city that's really known for its sin in the first century? Yeah, let's abs- read. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so this isn't a long trip, but uh, he goes over from Athens, heads to Corinth. And we're going to be introduced to Aquila and Priscilla here, which I, I just love... If you have time just to kind of do a word search on like Aquila, Priscilla, just go look at all the times that they come up in the New Testament and you will be encouraged. They are a power couple. They they are working wherever and they are. They, yeah, they show up in several different cities that are like miles apart too, by mm-hmm. the way. This isn't like they just move down the street. They like move all the time. Corinth, Ephesus. I think they end up back in Rome. They were at Italy um, at some point, apparently here in verse 2. Yeah, that's where they're from. And so uh, they, uh, or excuse me, I guess he's a native of Pontus, but they've recently come from Italy. And this is another thing that we have confirmed in history for us. Uh, Suetonius is a historian who tells us about this edict that uh, Claudius, uh, Caesar, had told all of the Jews to leave Rome. And and part of it was because of some uprisings caused in part not by the Christians, but because of Christians spreading their doctrine, as we've seen in places like Thessalonica last week, um, that the Jews are causing riots. Like there's these, these uprisings. And so Claudius is like, okay, that's it. Out of my city. And this is also a really interesting kind of background for the book of Romans, the, the Christians in Rome, because there are already churches there. And then all of the Jews were removed, including Aquila and Priscilla. And it would have been just Gentile churches there for, I think, at least a few years until um, the edict of Claudius went out of effect. And that provides a really interesting background for the Jew-Gentile conversations in the book of Romans, which isn't going to be written until a little bit later. But this is some of the background here. It's interesting. So Aquila and Priscilla are tent makers. And uh, they've come from from Italy. And now they're in Corinth. And so Paul ends up staying with them because they're the same trade. Which is cool. We don't often get like a look into Paul's personal life. 
uh, if we do, like sometimes it's at the end of his epistles, he'll write some personal things, some different things maybe he needs or wants to do. And so it's kind of cool to see like Paul, it's like, how did Paul like get money? Like he had to feed himself. He had to sleep places. Mm -hmm, Like, yeah, uh, ultimately he's relying on the Lord, but like, how is he living? How is he making a livelihood? And at least here, the indication is that he was a tent maker or leather maker and he was obviously good enough at it to be able to sell these things. And um, Corinth was obviously a busy place. All the ships coming through having need for leather or for tents or whatever have you. So this would have been a good place to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting just historically there are some famous games. Um, so we all know about like the Olympic Games right. named for Mount Olympus. And uh, the Isthmian Games. So Corinth is located on an isthmus, this little narrow strip of land. And I think it was every three years, if I remember correctly, that they would have these games. And so if you read First Corinthians, there's a place where Paul talks about, hey, let me tell you about the games. Like, use that as an example for spiritual discipline. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting here that that may have been another reason that tent makers uh, did a good trade in Corinth because you would have had a lot of people coming in every three years for the games and needing a, needing a tent, a place to stay. Yeah, and Paul, he does his work to, to get by, but... What's his focus? Verse 4. Reasoning. There's that word again. We talked about that last episode mm-hmm. uh, whenever Paul goes into Thessalonica reasoning. He's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Yeah, Paul has a job. He's got to make money. But his work is still in evangelism and teaching and preaching, spreading the gospel. That's what he puts a focus on. And I'll bet you if you went down to Paul's tent shop, I don't know what he called it, but yeah. you'd hear about the gospel yeah, at some point. That's I mean, right. He'll and sell you a tent. But think about also. the conversation, too, between him, Priscilla, and Aquila as they're like making their tents, You know, talking about this common bond they have in Jesus. Just really cool to think about. Yeah, they probably had a lot of hours to discuss the gospel. They probably did. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that I know, conversation. That, that'd be cool. All right, well... Um, What's going to be interesting here is this is Paul's day job for a while, but there's going to be times where he receives some support, and we'll likely see that in this next part here. We're picking up in Acts 18. We'll read verses 5 through 11. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Okay, so Silas and Timothy, we remember them being back up in the Macedonian region. Um, That was all the way back in chapter 17 and verse 14 that we learned that Silas and Timothy stay in that area. Um, But Paul's really wanting them to come along with him. These were some good buddies of his that obviously helped in the labor of the kingdom. But when Paul finally sees them and they get down there to Corinth, quite a journey, by the way, between Macedonia and Corinth. It's a long, long journey. Uh, It tells us that Paul begins devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. The way I read that 
is something has shifted. Now, Paul, he was always doing teaching and preaching. We read that back in verse 4. But there seems to be a more dedicated focus on the word, a more complete focus to teaching and preaching than there was before. And it might be because Silas and Timothy brought down some money from the churches in Macedonia. This isn't just a speculation that we have from chapter 18, but this is actually something that we see in the book of Philippians. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, so in Philippians 1, Paul, this is a church he was very close with. I I bet you he wished he could have spent some more time with them. Uh, But in Philippians 1, uh, he'll say, uh, I'm always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, So from the very beginning, he's recognizing their help with him. But there's also a reference in chapter 4. Yeah, in Philippians 4.15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, so this is talking about this journey we're reading about in Acts right now, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. This is really cool that, I mean, as soon as Thessalonica, which was one of the main next cities that Paul went to, they were already sending him some financial support. And he says, when I left Macedonia, which is likely when he went to Corinth um, in Achaia, so a different region, that they were sending him financial support. So it may well be, we know that Timothy and Silas were sent back. We read about some of that in 1 Thessalonians, that Timothy was sent to see how they were doing, but they may have also picked up some financial support. So I just appreciate Paul, whether he has the financial support or not, and he's making tents, he is working in the gospel regardless. And that should be the same for us. Whether we make our living by the gospel or not, we're telling as many people as we can about King Jesus and getting his message out. And as he is dedicating himself more fully here, we see at the end of verse 5, it's really the Jews that he's putting a big focus on, trying to convince them that Jesus was the Christ, but... Verse 6 tells us that they resisted and they even blasphemed, um, which irritates Paul, doesn't it? Uh, he kind of shakes out his garments against them, kind of like what Jesus had talked about um, back when he sends out the apostles and uh, in, in our market um, season. But the thing Paul says to them is really interesting. Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Why is Paul like making this reference to like him being clean? What is this talking about? Well, it's actually kind of cool that it, it connects to possibly something that we see in the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So God told Ezekiel to go and tell the Israelites that judgment was coming, and he compares Ezekiel to a watchman standing on the wall of a city. And if there's an enemy army coming against the city, what's the job of the watchman? Yeah, he's told that the enemies are coming. Kind of like Paul Revere is what I always think about. Like, <laughs> British are coming, British are coming. But that's his job. That's like, the idea. That's what he's supposed to do. You sound the trumpet. You sound the alarm. And the thing is, if you're asleep on the job or if you're just like, well, I'm out of here. I'm not going to sound the alarm. Well, the people are going to die, but whose fault is it? Your fault. It's the watchman's fault. But if you warn the people and then they don't listen, they're like, ah, he's not being serious, then you can escape. And they'll die, but it's their blood's on their own heads. So specifically in Ezekiel 3 and verse 19 is the, the verse where it says, But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Yeah, and this is God talking, by the way. This is the Lord talking to the servant Ezekiel. Mm-hmm, yeah. And again, in the next verse, he'll say... Um, 
if you don't warn the righteous man, his uh, his blood I will require at your hand. Again, the language of like his blood is, is from Ezekiel 3. So Paul may kind of be viewing himself, hey, I'm like Ezekiel, I've got a message of judgment and warning, and if you listen, great. If you don't listen, I've done my job. I've warned you of the coming judgment, and now he's saying I'm innocent of your blood. Your blood's on your own head. You've rejected the warning, and now you know you're reject at your own risk. And now they've they've taken the risk on themselves of rejecting Jesus. So Paul, he like literally goes next door, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he walks out of the synagogue and he goes next door to the house of a man named Titius Justus, um, who's described as a worshiper of God. Which again, that's kind kind of some of the description that we're given of people who are like Gentiles, but like they're trying to learn more about Yahweh, the God of the mm-hmm. of the Jews. Yeah. Um, so he goes right next door to him, and then there's this guy named Crispus in verse eight, the leader of the synagogue. Uh, we're told that he believes in the Lord with all of his household, and so there's many of these Corinthians who hear the word, believe, and are baptized. Um, yeah. So Paul is having success here. It is interesting that we will read about a Crispus, likely the same Crispus, in 1 Corinthians one fourteen, where Paul says, I don't remember who I baptized, but I did baptize Crispus and Gaius. Right. Uh, so this may be the same Crispus here that we read about in the letter to the church of Corinth. And so many of the Corinthians are hearing, and I just appreciate that, that here's this city that is known for its immorality, particularly its sexual immorality. You read about that in 1 Corinthians. I mean, so much so that my understanding is that, like, a, a, a another name for a prostitute in that area was, like, a Corinthian girl. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're a girl from Corinth, like, odds are it's you're a prostitute. Kind of like the sin city of its day, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's got that whole connotation that goes along with it. And by the way, when you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, specifically 1 Corinthians, you just think about, like, all the temptations and all the struggles that this church would have had. And knowing the area that they're in, you're not going to be as shocked as you read about some of the things that they were encountering mm-hmm. in the city of Corinth as, a, as God's people there, as the church. That's right. And that's one reason that I think we might see verses 9 and 10 happening here. The Lord, we don't read about a whole lot of like dreams or visions or like specific communication that Jesus has with Paul, but it's while he's in Corinth that the Lord says to him in a vision one night, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. I mean, why does he need to say that to Paul? Yeah, that's a good question. I kind of suspect that Paul was scared. I mean, he's in the middle of a city that is just renowned for its terrible morality, uh, terrible people. And I mean, Paul may be getting kind of tired at this point. Yeah. Like he's been run out of town how many times? Had right. to escape by night how well, many times? And it's also at this point normally when this happens. When, when the Jews of the city get kind of irritated with Paul, that's normally when they're like, okay, we've had enough of this guy. We're running out. So I wonder if Paul's like, okay... I've upset the Jews. Like I've told them that their blood is going to be on their own hands. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, the persecution must be coming tomorrow. Like we're and like at this point, he's all he's come from Athens to Corinth. It's like, where am I going to go next? Like, (laughs) what am I supposed to do? Backtrack from here. I just keep. It's like I keep getting ran out of each city. Which Lord, I realize that that might be your plan for me, but I can see where this would get very tiring, and. The Lord, I personally, I think this is Jesus. Paul will often, when he's talking about Jesus, address him as Lord. He, The Lord comes to Paul and says, look, do not be afraid. I 
am with you. Speak and don't be silent. Basically, be bold. It's going to be okay. And he says specifically, no one will attack you to harm you. And again, that's what probably he was particularly afraid of. It's like, man, how many more times do I need to get beat? Um, but he says, I have many in this city who are my people. This is a great, encouraging thing to hear if you're Paul, well, if you're any of us. <laughs> I have many in this city who are my people. Like God's like, no, I've got work for you to do here. And, you know, there's times where it feels like Paul is a machine. Like he's just going, 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 and it just seems like nothing slows him down, nothing discourages him. But I think that we see a little bit of the humanity, if you will. I mean, of course, Paul was human, not like Jesus, who was God and man. But Paul, he, he struggled with fear. He struggled with, with discouragement sometimes. And I think that's why the Lord comes to him here and gives him the boost that he needs to, to keep on going. So I just appreciate that. It's encouraging for us. So instead of being run out of town, like he has most other places, he stays a year and a half teaching the word of God there in Corinth. Again, one of the places you're like, well, if Paul's going to get run out quick anywhere, it's going to be Corinth. But no, he stays longer here than anywhere else that we've read up to this point. He will end up staying longer in Ephesus in the next chapter. But um, this is a remarkable that he's able to do such a good work here. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that brings us into more of, of what's going on there in Corinth um, in the year and a half he's there in verse 12. So I'm going to read verses 12 through 22. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of, of a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took a hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to the sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sincrea he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again, if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Okay, so this is actually the end of the second trip that he and Silas have embarked on. And um, we find out about the end of his time in Corinth. It does come to an end uh, in a kind of uh, violent way, but not for Paul. I think that's really significant because Jesus told him, no one's going to attack you to harm you. Um, they did go after Paul. They bring him for the tri before the tribunal. But when they present their case and say, ah, oh, he's telling people to worship God contrary to the law. But Gallio is like, listen, Jews, if this was some vicious crime, okay. But this is just a, a matter of your own stuff, you know, your own words and names, your own law. Listen, I'm not going to be a judge of this. You take care of it. And uh, so he says, get out. You know, he drives him out. 
And so they, they grab Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. I kind of wonder if it's because Paul converted Crispus <laughs> that he had to get a new ruler of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio just turns a blind eye to all this. Uh, so this is just kind of interesting, almost comical, to see how Sosthenes is the one who ends up getting attacked and yeah. harmed, not Paul. Um, this whole thing kind of backfires. But also interesting, and kind of a side note, a historical note here, is these verses, verse 12 in particular, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, we actually have historical reference to Gallio in what's called the Delphi inscription, or sometimes called the Gallio inscription because of his name. Uh, and this tells us that this was, I believe it was like a six-month uh, proconsulship. Yeah, a lot. Can you imagine having term. an election every six months in our political <laughs> climate? <laughs> That would be torture, by oh. the way. Oh, we would never get away from the ads. No, that, but, that's all it would be. Anyway, so historically, we know because of this inscription that Gallio was proconsul in Corinth about the year 51 or 52, yeah. or maybe overlapping those two years. So that kind of helps date here, back, and really here on. Yeah, this is like kind of the, the anchor point for all the other dates in the book of Acts. And this is just really cool because we can know that Paul arrived in Corinth. If he's there a year and a half, he probably arrived sometime in the year 50. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to write 1 Corinthians about the year 55. And so kind of working for, out from this point, we can do the dates for a lot of the other things in the New Testament. Um, so again, this is just one other place where the Bible, this is not set in some you know fictitious place. This is real people, real places. And we have historical confirmation of this Gallio, uh, who was proconsul of Achaia, which yeah. is Corinth is the capital city of uh, Achaia. That's really cool. Um, one, one other note on this guy named Sosthenes, leader of the synagogue. His name is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1. One, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and so on. Now, we do not know if this is the same Sosthenes or not. It is interesting that Paul writes about him also in 1 Corinthians, and it makes me wonder personally, was this enough to turn this leader of the synagogue to Christianity? I mean, is God working through this unfortunate circumstance? Um, So anyways, for what it's worth, that's cool to consider. Yeah. So the way that Luke is writing the book of Acts, we know that a lot of time can pass uh, between these events. We've just gotten, again, a highlight reel of a few things that have happened at Corinth. Yeah, 22 verses for a year and a half. Yeah. And then in verse 18, he says Paul stayed many days longer. We don't know how many days. But uh, the rest of the journey, I mean, Corinth is at the far end of his journey. And man, it only takes us a few verses uh, Verses 18 through 22, he's going to get all the way back to Antioch um, in just a few verses. So he um, he sets sail for Syria, which is where he left in Antioch. And he takes a, a Priscilla and Aquila with him, which is cool. So they were serving as tent makers together there in Corinth. Um, Sincrea is, where, is the port city of Corinth, uh, just a few miles from Corinth. He has his hair cut because he's under a vow. This is likely a Jewish thing, mm-hmm. possibly a Nazarite vow. We don't mm-hmm. know. There are some aspects of it that could have been it, could not have been it. We're not sure. Yeah. So um, they come to Ephesus. So they sail across uh, the, the sea there uh, to Ephesus. And this is where Paul is going to come back on the third journey and spend the longest of any time that we know of that he spends. Um and uh, he does go into the synagogue, reason with the Jews, 
Uh, they want him to stay longer, but he declines. And he says, listen, I'm going to return to you if God wills. Um, and the, the Lord did will. He's going he's gonna to come back on his next trip. Um, so he sets sail from Ephesus. They go down to Caesarea, um, which again is, a, we're now back in the region of the Jews. Um, he goes up and greeted the church. Going up and greeting the church probably is a reference to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They went up to Jerusalem is the way they typically say that. And then went down to Antioch. And although it's north of this area, Jerusalem's up on this hill, so it would be natural to go down even down. if you're technically going north. Yeah, that's right. And so here he is, back where he started. Uh, just like the first trip, he reports back to Antioch. We don't have a lot of report. The The next journey is going to start right in the next verse. After spending some time there, he departed and went one place. Again, Luke sometimes will just not tell us a whole lot about the details of the trip. But um, it's fascinating to see his time in Corinth here, particularly, is what he spends time on in this chapter. And we, we end up learning a lot more about this church and Paul's relationship with this church on the next journey when he's at Ephesus again, mm-hmm. he's going to write 1 Corinthians and address so much. Again, Acts gives us a little window into how things started, but we learn a lot more about this church when we read 1 Corinthians. And then when Paul is working his way back toward Corinth in Macedonia, he's going to write 2 Corinthians. Paul has kind of a complicated relationship with this church. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of helpful lessons to learn. Yeah. A lot of different voices coming into the church at Corinth, too, about mm-hmm. Paul and about Christianity just in general. Yeah. But again, if the gospel can flourish in current in Corinth, the gospel can flourish anywhere. Yeah, that's uh, right. It's just amazing to see the, the good response of the gospel and that God has many people in that city and in every city. Yeah. And we need to be bold no matter where we are, uh, especially we need to be bold in cities like Corinth. And maybe you find yourself in a city much like Corinth. Maybe you're surrounded by sinful things that are scary and you don't know how to proclaim the gospel. And let 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 Paul inspire you and ultimately let the Lord um, provide you some hope and some boldness um, in your proclamation of the gospel as well. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into, like Stephen was saying, this third preaching trip where Paul is going to eventually get back to Ephesus. And really a lot of the preaching trip in uh, this third one is going to be our, his time in Ephesus for which he'll spend three years. So we'll spend uh, the next couple podcasts talking talking about that. Yep. If you guys are enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, uh, leave us a rating or a review. Um, if you'd like to study with us, we'd love to do this kind of study with you. Uh, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information, see us at capitalcitychristians.com Thank you so much for listening.